Please be seated. As we wind down one year and are getting ready to begin a new year, I've had a little bit of time to kind of look back on my life and to think about some things. And I've actually wondered how many things have I started uh, that I didn't finish? And how many promises have I made that I didn't keep? And when I consider my own track record, I've come to the conclusion that I'm so very, very grateful that God is not like me. God doesn't start something that he fails to finish. He doesn't make a promise that he fails to keep. I mean, think about just at a high level the big promises that God has made to us right after Adam sinned and brought sin into our world and into our lives. God promised a Savior, and he kept that promise on Christmas morning. Right after the disciples gathered with Jesus for the Last Supper, Jesus promised a helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit. He kept that promise on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out on his people. And he keeps that promise every time someone comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior and the Spirit of God comes to dwell within that person and to begin the wonderful work of salvation. God keeps his promises, every one of them. And the promise that I want to speak to briefly tonight is found in Philippians 1.6. It is one of the most encouraging promises in all of Scripture. Paul said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, at the return of Christ, in other words. See, that's the end game of Christmas morning. That is where Jesus is taking us, and that is a promise. That is the promise I want to speak to. Before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we thank you that indeed your Son came into the world for our sake to earn for us a salvation we could not earn for ourselves. And we are so grateful that ultimately completing that task of our salvation doesn't depend on us. It is a promise you have made to us that you will do in us. And so we look to you tonight in Christ's name. Amen. We've said this a good bit over the last few weeks, but when you think about the story of Christmas, it really is one of compassion as Christ looks down on us, sees us in our misery, in our failures, and recognizes that we are helpless to do anything about it. And so he's so moved by what he sees that he comes to us and becomes one of us. And the psalmist tells us, that he did that for a very, very specific reason. And that is to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up our wounds. We see that in Psalm 147. In other words, salvation is, in one way, it is the, the fixing of all that is broken in us. And in that same psalm, The psalmist goes on to say, the one who comes to bind up our wounds is the same one who determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them 
their names. And so think about that just for a moment. If Jesus does indeed determine the number of the stars, then you need to understand that he is more than equal to even the greatest problem in your life. And if Jesus gives to all of the stars their names, then he will never ignore even the smallest problem that you face. It is all important to him. Jesus came on Christmas morning to fix what is broken in us, to make something beautiful, even out of the most broken places in our lives. And Philippians 1.6 makes it really clear that God saves us for a very specific purpose. He who began a good work, a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that good work is described for us by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, our salvation, one of the ways to look at our salvation is that we become a part of God's family. We're adopted children. And the more that the Holy Spirit works that salvation in our lives, the more we begin to resemble God's natural Son, Jesus Christ. More and more, His way of thinking becomes our way of thinking. His way of Feeling becomes our way of feeling. His way of doing becomes our way of doing. More and more, because of God's work through His Spirit in us, more and more as people look at us, they begin to see Jesus Christ. The very character of Christ being worked out in our lives by the Spirit of Christ in us. And one day... As we see in Philippians 1, 6, he will bring that to completion. And that completion is described for us in 1 John 3, verse 2. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Has not appeared means that we only get a glimpse of it in this life. What is to come is to, in us is to be so much better than the best parts that we see even now. That's where we are headed. Uh, That is the, the, the completion of the work of God in us, in our salvation. Paul says virtually the same thing in Romans 8. We're being conformed to the likeness of his Son. So again, we will resemble Jesus Christ. But in Romans 8, just before Paul says that, he he says something to us that should bring all of us hope, no matter how difficult our life has been or is, no matter where we've been or what we've done or what has been done to us. He, He says to us these things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And that means all things, not just the good things. All things work together for good. And here's the point. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Not one thing. Not one of your sins or the ways you've been sinned against. Not the shame, the guilt, not the tears. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. All things, because God is at work in your life, will work together for good. God has promised, in other words, to make something beautiful even out of the brokenness in our lives. 
Judy recently uh, shared something with a number of the women in our church and, and with me, and I was so moved by it that uh, I want to share it with you tonight. Her grandmother was dear. Her name was Dar, and she was wonderful with uh, ceramics and, and, and pottery in China. And uh, at one point in her life, she converted her garage into a studio, and Judy and her sisters and friends would go over and make pottery and paint ceramics. And of course, they were just kids, and so every once in a while, they would drop something and break it. And when they broke it, they would turn to their grandmother and say, Dark, can you put this back together? And of course she would. And then they would paint it to cover over the mistakes. And sometimes when Dark could tell that they were feeling really bad about breaking a piece of pottery, she would say, don't worry. After we repair it, nobody will ever know that it was broken. Now that's typically the way we think of repairing broken things, repairing pottery. But in Japan, there is actually another way to repair ceramics and, and broken pottery. It's called kintsugi, and it stands for golden repair. And here is where the difference, I think, can be such a wonderful analogy for what God does in us. See, kintsugi, this kind of repair doesn't cover over the mistake so that the brokenness can't be seen anymore. Instead, it does just the opposite. It actually highlights the break, and it does so typically with something like gold or with silver. Now, I want to put up, uh, if you would, an example of this. That's kintsugi. That is a piece of pottery that was broken. And, and notice where it was broken. is highlighted with the gold and with the, with the flowers. And, and what you see there is something so much more interesting than it was before it was broken, before it was broken and then repaired. And, and quite frankly, so much more beautiful and so much more valuable. So many of these pieces of pottery are, are very, very expensive these days and are collected by folks all around the world. Here's the point. The breaks become part of the object's history. They're not hidden but they're highlighted. And, and when you think that, you know, we live in a culture that disposes of broken things, the, the wonderful thing that you see here is that these artists take broken things and make masterpieces out of them. Kintsugi, I think, really is a great picture, a wonderful analogy of God's work of salvation in our lives as he picks up the broken pieces of our lives and puts us back together I mean, think about how biblical that is to think of us as the clay that our Father works with. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So God creates us, but he also puts us back together when we fall. And what I'm trying to communicate, what I want you to see, is that he does so in a way that is so much more beautiful than we were before the repair. Far from being embarrassed by us or covering up our mistakes, God makes something beautiful out of our scars. They become part of our history. See, everything in our history God uses to mold us into the beautiful image of his son. That is where we're heading. And that really is the commitment of Christmas morning when Christ came to us 
not only to embrace us, but to enable us to become like him. So tomorrow morning, when you're thinking about presents and family and the joy of the holiday, think about what Christ is doing in your life and give praise to him. Be grateful to him because the point that this really draws us to is that the work, the beauty in our lives through the salvation that the Holy Spirit works in us is not our work. It is the handiwork, the artistry of our God. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay, that's us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The beauty in us is the work of our Father, the work of our God, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit. But second, tomorrow, and I'll finish with this, respond with hope. God kept his promise to give us a Savior. He kept his promise to give us the Holy Spirit, to begin the work of salvation in us. And he will keep his promise to bring that salvation to its conclusion, to completion. Nothing you do and nothing done to you can ever stand in the way of his plans for your life. He is so much greater than anything done to you or anything you've ever done. God has promised, promised to make something beautiful of the brokenness in your life. And he will keep his promise. I am sure, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we do thank you that you are indeed our God and that you have looked down upon us in compassion. And when we turned your broken world or your beautiful world into a broken world and our lives became broken as well, you came to us that you might put us back together in a way that is so much more beautiful than we could have ever imagined. And so, Lord, may we look to you this day and tomorrow and the next with a great hope and a great confidence that you indeed will bring to completion the good work you have begun in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now we approach uh, the Lord's Supper, the table of our Lord, and it's right for us uh, to confess where we've sinned against our Lord before we eat a meal with him. Um, We just heard the unbelievable truth that God promises to finish the good work he's began in you. And we know that on that final day, he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain and sorrow. Uh, we know that all the broken things will be redeemed and repaired. And, and that's going to happen. Yet we don't wait for that day like we ought. And so would you join me uh, together in a corporate confession, admitting that that's not our heart's greatest desire and our deepest longing, And also then a time of silent confession, and then we'll move to the Lord's table. Would you confess sins with me now? God of all ages, as Israel did not wait for your coming with faithfulness, so we often fail to wait for your return with faithfulness. We confess that we are too comfortable in this world and not eager enough for the one to come. 
Forgive us and fill us with passion to follow in your ways until you bring us home. Father, hear the confessions of your people. And people, hear the words uh, from your Father. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. At his second coming, he will come for our final salvation and restoration. Now, another thing that will happen on that final day is we will sit together with our Lord. Having been made perfect, we will have a meal, uh, a family meal, uh, the wedding supper of the Lamb, as it's often referred to. And this meal points forward to that time. It's a time to celebrate, a time for for great hope. But also, uh, this meal points backwards. Um, It's the body of Christ broken for us. It's the blood of Christ poured out for us. It reminds us of the great cost to win our salvation. And in this Christmas Eve, it's appropriate to look forward even. Even as Jesus is a, is a baby in our minds tonight, he'll move towards the cross where he'll endure great suffering and shame so that we can have our suffering and shame forever dealt with. Um, this is a family meal. If you don't know Jesus, if, if you haven't committed your life to him, just take this, if you picked it up, and just set it aside discreetly. Um, but the Bible gives sternest warnings that this is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, don't, don't take this. Take Jesus. Take Christ tonight. Take him as your Savior. And, and, and if you're not sure what that means and you came with someone, ask them. Ask one of us. Um, but if this is your hope, If it is your faith, then we invite you, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, to come and have it strengthened tonight around this meal. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this bread is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, in like manner, Jesus took the cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples, He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you who are mine. Jesus, we thank you that you indeed shed your blood for our sake, that we might live and live forever with you that we might know salvation that we might become like you in the ways we think and feel 
and do. We thank you that you keep your promises. We thank you that one day we really will be like you and that others will see Christ in us. May that be the case, though, even now as we grow up into the likeness of our Savior. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.